welcome to the Singing for Health Network's podcast. My name is Ruth Routledge and I am a singer and a Singing for Health practitioner researcher. I am a student, I'm a master's student specialising in Singing for Health research and practice. And I am delighted to welcome our guest this morning, Debbie Winter, who is the Director of the Voice Study Centre. Hello, Debbie. Hello, it's good to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. Thanks for joining us. Would you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what what you do? So I'm the director of the Voice Study Centre and I've been in existence for probably much longer than people realise. I've voice workshop before that, but really the bulk, 99% of what I do is centred on developing a master's programme in voice pedagogy, but at its root lies the framework of professional practice which is an unusual framework because ultimately although we do provide very structured content it's really quite unstructured in many ways because ultimately the direction of the pathway is directed by the student that comes onto it and so singing for health has evolved as a body of work that many of my practitioners have gravitated towards to the point where it's become a thing yes yes I I guess the framework has facilitated advanced level practitioners and advanced level academics yes take that field further and I guess that's why I'm here (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and I'm on your master's program and when I started I think two years ago there wasn't a specialized singing for health pathway but I think now because there are so many of us interested in it and who are working in quite different pockets of it you have responded to that and provided a specific singing for health pathway on the masters yes absolutely and I think that really came about through a number of my um, students sort of being very attracted to working with simultaneously and independently really so they were working in their own independent ways but there was a thread of interest so I had at one time COPD working with British Lung Foundation and I had Parkinson's, working with a couple of Parkinson's charities, Alzheimer's, working with postnatal depression, working with chronic pain, working with trauma. And so there was sort of this explosion of practitioners gravitating towards this kind of work. And so the challenge for me was to facilitate it, not shut it down, not to be afraid of it. I think programmes just reflect back as to what's going on on ground level. So it's almost like a cyclical relationship between this is going on at the ground and then we facilitate academically which then fuses in cross-disciplinary research which then facilitates further what's going on on the ground so then that grows so it's kind of like it's got its own life force. Very interesting we wanted to get you in today to talk specifically about the subject of ethics what are ethics? I suppose ultimately it's about boundaries and I, I don't pretend to have any kind of magical insights or to even be the I'm not sort of arbitrator either of those ethics so each time a student does a project they have complete an ethics form which then goes into um, a central sort of ethics decision making body within the university and then they pour over it and then they require this that and the other to mitigate the ethical risks and they really do decide each case on each case by case basis Mm. and what that allows I think is is maybe those boundaries to be guarded more closely but also it facilitates growth as well so it's not a case of saying no there are ethical problems it's about mitigating those ethical problems right and how we 
we evolve policies around that singing for health, I think it then in turn should allow and facilitate the ethical boundaries to be negotiated by that profession ultimately. Mm. So you're talking specifically about ethics in research, I think, aren't you? When you say a student completes an ethics form, which is then validated or not by a university ethics committee, but say as a as a singing for health practitioner, is there somewhere to go to find out about ethics or to establish the boundaries? Or do you think it is a sort of personal thing that you work out in relation to your own practice or with participants or with an employer? I suppose what's happened to the field is that it was kick-started obviously by the body of research by Steve Cliff, Daisy Fancourt and many, many others. I think they've generated a wealth of research that has relevance to our practice and the practitioners have interpreted that and they've gone out into the fields to implement that into practice and therein lies those ethical boundaries so I suppose what happens at an academic level is that it identifies perhaps maybe through publication it identifies and flags up the existence of these different strands but then I guess from there and what we've seen with the Singing Power Network which is obviously you and many other <laughs> yes you then band together in recognition of that and then we within that you open up dialogue and then within that you bring in other so I think it's sort of a got to start from its grassroots up I don't think it can come top down mm. we can't know what we don't know yes so and it's yes. only through messy the messiness of practice that we can begin to extract objectively out perhaps some of that messiness <laughs> into some mm. objective framework and mm. I guess there's an interplay between education and grassroots practice that enables the thought processes perhaps to just lift that out and I've got some incredible work going on around ethics mm. some students are doing particularly those with a philosophy background as well maybe fusing in so there's just a lot of work to be done but isn't it exciting that the yes. dialogue's and I'm just one cog in that wheel. You are, I think, you're actually playing a really significant role just knowing the number of Singing for Health practitioner researchers who are involved in the master's course over the years it's been running. I, I think you probably have quite an eagle eye on a lot of the groundbreaking stuff that is happening. So yes, I don't think there's another course quite like it, actually. That's why I'm doing it. Yes, because it flips it back. There's not that traditional hierarchy because we are not saying to you, you've got to do this you've got to be this you've got to be mm. that you've got to be your pedagogy you've got to do this you've got to do that we flip it back to you to say well you define it you define its parameters you define its boundaries and 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 that's an interaction then I guess it's different in that sense yes I'm sure it's, it's got its pluses <laughs> it's a bit bonkers as well at the same time it's because it's not definable yeah it's parameters are not definable they are evolving but mm. I guess some of the ethical dilemmas that I've seen in singing for how how do we regulate the field then it becomes yeah. a much broader issue doesn't it then yeah. so what happens when that research is then applied how do we ensure that is done ethically and then how do we ensure that it's maintained ethically and then how do we define the role of a singing power practitioner how does it indeed differ from a music therapist which is obviously yeah. a protected mission yes as a singing for health practitioner 
there's nothing concrete there's no one to say oh no you can't do this you can't do that it is very much on you as the practitioner or if you're working for an organization hopefully they would but a lot of us are coming from a sort of community music background so yeah we are scrabbling about trying to define our ethical boundaries and I think like you're saying it is a constant journey actually especially if you are looking at research and looking at other practice and drawing perhaps from other fields yes I think where I've what I've seen is nobody seems to want to be just seeing teachers anymore <laughs> what I thought boys pedagogy was in those early days it isn't it's so much more but it's allowing the field to expand without it becoming too over ambitious and I guess that's where ethics comes in isn't it it's, do we say the boundaries are that a singing for health practitioner is one that's maybe working with the community as a choir leader first or a singing leader first are they a singing leader first because they're not you're not a therapist are you you're not no, no. that defining boundary I don't but I, I think there does need to be a lot of care yes what would you say are in that kind of context what are the biggest ethical considerations therapy going out and therapizing shortcutting shortcut mm. absolutely so this is an issue that spreads across the MA. It's not just thinking for health, it's, mm. it's across the whole singing sector. So I think those boundaries do need to be put down. But, but how? Yes. Where? You only have innovation through loosening, the ba- loosening those boundaries. That's where innovation comes in. For me, some of the ethical concerns are you can't shortcut, you know, you can't shortcut training for to become a music therapist and all of that that comes in with that and all the supervision and the therapy that has undergone. You can't mm. become a language therapist. You haven't had that clinical training so I guess surely it's got to be about being a singing professional first and where I've seen the most ethical practice is within a multidisciplinary team where I see a lot of safeguarding natural checks and balances happening is when it's placed within a multidisciplinary team and I had a wonderful project and I'm sure she won't mind me naming her as she's quite out there and that's with Bopi Garner who worked with stroke within this magical magical interdisciplinary team it was extraordinary Mm. Um, and it just just was a brilliant check and balance on the ethics she was a singing leader there were she was engaging in certain strategies but she first and foremost was a singing leader I guess for me maybe we need to always have that at the, at the forefront what do you think because you're in the field I'm yeah just... it's something personally I find very difficult and talking to other people I know that they do as well because our role isn't defined and that allows for a very adaptive response which is amazing so you are very much able to to and free to adapt to what you're seeing. You're not constrained by some parameters that you've been told from on high you need to implement, which may or may not be suitable for the personalities and the group you're working with. I work with groups, that's my specialty. So there, there's always a difficult balance between individuals and the group. And actually the reason why I wanted to do some training in this and look at research was precisely for this question because I was finding that I was working with vulnerable people and very often there weren't any prescribed boundaries. It was very much up to me to say, I need to have this, I need to have a support worker. You know, I was working for different charities and to make sure that if the group gets derailed, there is support for the participants. And then from doing this course myself, I've become much more aware of my own safety and well-being as well, and the boundaries around that, which wasn't something I had especially considered before. 
I guess something that keeps coming up for me is there being an established, well-researched, well-thought-through code of practice, perhaps something like that for Singing for Health practitioners, which perhaps is where the Singing for Health network should be going. I do think it would be really useful for a lot of us to have that because we're not therapists, we're not psychotherapists, and there's a real strength in that. We're not working with those tools, we're working with music and we're working with singing and we're working with the group dynamics. And that's kind of the whole point. Quite interestingly, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a psychologist. She sang in one of my choirs and we were talking about doing some singing work. And I said to her, you know, do you think I should get some kind of therapy qualification or something like that? And she said, no, that's what I have. What you bring is is free of all the preconceptions and the particular set of constraints by that particular discipline. And that's where the real power of what you're doing lies. So no, don't do that, which I found really interesting. I feel as though I would like to have this framework of practice actually from something else, or like you're saying, a, a multidisciplinary team, I think would bring mm. so much strength and power. It would, but of course, they're very costly things, aren't they? So practically, you know, not everybody has that privilege to work within a multidisciplinary team, but they're also doing very great groundbreaking work. Mm. So I guess you can't, can you create a code of practice before you've lived it? Is that possible? I don't do know. You, do you overdefine or oversimplify? I don't know. I, I think it's for your profession to define, but I suppose what's happened with the work that, that Emily did, and of course she was behind the Singing for Health Network as a result mm. of her own groundbreaking work, was to give that voice, to bring that community together to define those boundaries. And I know that you work with a huge amount of academics as well as practitioners on that. So I think it's great work. I'm very honoured to have just a little tiny bit <laughs> of involvement within it. I I mean, we've, I've just been talking with Stephen Clift about the research and we were kind of saying about it being over egg. Let's not get carried away. Um, <laughs> we've come up with the four part introduction quantitative. Yes, I'll be there. We're going to roll that out to the Singing for Health Network so that those practitioners become free of charge. I guess it's inclusivity in education as it is as much anything else. Having yes. a forum debate those ideas that then yes. can maybe be stacked up into some sort of policy. Or guidelines. And yes, like oh, you're I saying, understand. disseminating information and awareness about those boundaries of safety, really. Yes. And then who looks after the Singing for Health? practitioner yes where does that happen because what i've seen is almost this surprise addition that's gone on with many of the projects that have happened where actually it's not just the people they're helping it's their carers yeah as well and that's been really profound mm. actually seeing that it's actually been so relevant not just to those that are suffering from opd or or, or stroke or, or whatever but the actual the carers yes so it, it has got extraordinary power yes and interestingly on that point i know someone else who works for a charity wishing well and they do work in hospitals and actually what they have found like you're saying is the wider benefits for the staff in the hospital you know it's not just about patients it's about creating an atmosphere and a really positive environment for everyone, for people working there, for healthcare workers and for families and for patients, which is where I think the real power of it not being so clearly defined is really effective. And what about ethical considerations for participants? in a singing for health group for the participants boundaries but also physical boundaries as well and that's been a really interesting one because actually physical touch has, has had quite extraordinary impact in some spheres and so goodness we don't touch you know <laughs> 
Yes. How would you go about that? Or how do we go yeah. about that? Yeah, mm. just all all that and um, therapeutic element, obviously. And then what goes on during coffee, even? Yes. <laughs> I yes. don't know. I mean, again, you're working the field. I deal with the kind of broader ethics forms, ensuring we've got bits of paper. Yes. I think what we're getting down to is ideas around consent and informed consent. Yes, and perhaps good practice with respect to that. So, for example, if you are running a choir and you want to do something involving time, to actually prepare people in advance and ask the question in advance to allow people to say I am or I'm not comfortable with this. I suppose you never know quite what's going to pop up do you until you've done it almost so I guess it's having a is it about having a place to reflect and consider is that what maybe networks and groups do is that they enable reflection to be shared I don't have any answers on that I would feel like a fraud because I'm not in the field I wouldn't want to be arrogant just to say it's got to be this, it's got to be that. That is a very interesting perspective that your active experience is more relevant and appropriate than say academic experience. Yeah, but it's got to have a purpose to it, hasn't it? Furthering the field and answering some of those questions. I mean, I do have a student at the moment. She's actually asking what are ethics and how do we actually build framework for policy making and how do we do that? And so I guess they're the questions that got to be are which then can then facilitate those discussions that can, can help but I guess and in, I guess we're all faced with ethical dilemmas aren't we on an individual basis every day I mean we're human aren't we I mean I don't start a tutorial with somebody without knowing how they are we do we can't stay in boxes and we do engage in therapy with one another every minute of the day <laughs> Yes. Don't we? It's a minefield. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess there's a real tension, isn't there, between those boundaries and establishing those boundaries for the safety of the different people involved, whilst also allowing flexibility within the boundaries to allow people not to be rigidly constrained by them in a in a negative or detrimental way. Yes. I mean, we could say that seeing for health practitioner isn't a thing and we shut it down, you're not music therapist, and we could have this rigid licensing thing couldn't we but it's what exists in between the cracks isn't it that's yes how we regulate that I mean very little is regulated really I mean marketing isn't regulated yes people design your website there's no regulation in website designers yes Yes. how far we go isn't it Yes, and being a singing teacher is not regulated or a piano teacher, you know, I guess the issue really is that as soon as you're moving into health, and this does apply to lots of other sort of therapies or alternative therapies, as soon as you're moving into health, you are working with vulnerable people. So there's a power dynamic, people may be less able to give informed consent. For example, I'm, I'm looking at the moment, my desktop study is looking at using singing with adults with learning difficulties difficulties and their carers and that issues of consent there are really really difficult you know how you first of all successfully communicate what the project is is and know that it has been understood the relationship between the practitioner research and the participants how that is clearly communicated and clearly understood and the the relevant boundaries
boundaries that are really, really important for everyone's well-being. But similarly, supporting people to feel safe. It's, it's about relationships. So there are so many tensions there. I'm looking at adults with learning disabilities, but I mean, this application to say people with dementia or other mental health issues or vulnerable people and how they can or can't communicate is it's really complicated. And yes, this dance between clear communication, relationship and safety, boundaries and flexibility within those boundaries to allow for, for individuals. And Yes, and I think another issue for us, and certainly for other people within the field, I was having the discussion with Stephen Clift only the other day, is there are ethical issues when you over-extrapolate research to suit your own bias. Yeah. And that's essentially what happens, isn't it, in, in yeah. lots of ways. But you, I don't know if you've read George Musgrave's paper that's just been released. No. It's brilliant. What I also see in the research and obviously I keep coming back to research because that's where I sit is almost a dichotomy between this notion thinking for health is this cure-all and yet if you actually look at the research on singing for trauma and actually the traumatic it was almost sometimes I think singing should come with a government health warning the moment you step into a performing sphere and you look at the data on mental health issues mm. of musicians you know, can we truly even say that singing is healthy <laughs> In his paper, he draws together these two strands of completely opposing um, material, I suppose, research. Then he kind of comes to some sort of conclusion, which is kind of like we need to have in mind this sort of conflict in the research. So that is another conundrum. Yes, the tension between sort of music making and negativity around performance. Is yeah. it those tensions? And the, the research that sort of looks at depression and mental health issues experienced by those within the performing industry and then the singing for health mantra where we say that it's singing can cure everything yes um, and it's being mindful of that mm. and then in what context mm. and maybe social singing I know that I was listening to the Limerick um, event that you put on a little while ago Sing for Health Network had a with Hilary Moss mm. and they've moved from choirs and they call it social singing but I've noticed that that research emphasis is based on social singing but the moment it, you come out of social singing you've got a whole another hotbed haven't you <laughs> Yeah. I don't have any answers, unfortunately. Just no, but I guess that's the point, isn't it? It's not about having the answers. It's about asking the right questions. I think it's about asking the right questions and having forums which is why obviously what the network does is so valuable yes because it aren't asks those questions and perhaps what i am a little small contributor of is getting people to ask those questions yeah absolutely like your good self yeah and your own project around potentially low blood pressure yeah which obviously i will be using um with respect to adults with learning disabilities and trying to address health inequalities Potentially seeing if that's yes. um, if that's relevant and for their carers. Are we trying to eradicate ethical dilemmas and mitigate against them, or are we creating greater levels of transparency around them? Maybe I think that's the we can do in reality. I think yes, being really transparent about the particular dilemmas that there are and awareness as well. Yes. So I've heard some people try and then protect trauma informed. You shouldn't have access to trauma research, shouldn't have access to that knowledge because then you'll think that you can go off. So I've heard that sort of reaction as well. You know, let's just cut the access to that research, cut the access to that knowledge, allow it, shouldn't facilitate it unless you're going to be on a prescribed pathway, which I don't think is very good either. 
either, is it? Because ultimately you're wanting to become informed about different aspects of practice that others have gone through and documented knowledge that's existing that's already there. But I suppose the point is, is that we are singing practitioners and we are using singing. We are not therapising. We are not using talking therapy or I don't know, any other kind of therapy. However, as soon as you're working with singing and as soon as you're working with people, I think you are you're working with people's vulnerabilities and your own vulnerabilities. But ultimately you're working with joy. Hopefully. Really. <laughs> music seeks to bring out joy doesn't it collective music maybe i don't know that i would necessarily say joy i I actually would say connection i I think the real power the therapeutic power my personal view it is about the connection and whether that's in pain or joy i think it's actually about being seen and heard and responded to it but i think a lot of that working with singing and, and facilitating people to sing in their vulnerability is really about that so if if you know more about any kind of health condition, physical, mental, whatever, and have an awareness that will help you support people to engage in the activity of group singing, then I mean, I would argue that any knowledge is is going to help you with that. And also, I think realising that you don't know everything about the whole person. So asking the questions and creating a forum for dialogue and asking the questions and giving people the space and time to say, I can't read, for example. So giving me a lyric sheet is actually, I find that really difficult or you're asking us to stand up I can't stand or you know all the different adjustments that anyone might need to access it so maybe it's just more about inclusion keep coming back to this actually yes and developing a critical eye Mm. maybe that's what the research does gives you different lenses what do you mean by that you start to look for things don't you You start to look commonality you look at things through a different lens don't you once you've looked at different aspects of research you start to have to, to look differently to see differently but I mean not every practitioner is going to want to sit down and read a load of research they want to get on with the practice which I guess is where what you're doing is so valuable there's a dialogue between the two yes with not one being dominant over the other one fusing into the other Mm. and reaching out and broadening that field and then broadening that scope of inclusion and enabling the thing to develop yes this indefinable uh, yeah thing multi-armed all i've contributed or we've contributed at the boys study center along with anybody else in academia is just to give face for some of that to happen Mm. and i guess it's been wonderful to see the singing for health network that's being established to enable that to continue and for you to own your own field it's got to come from that isn't it really yes yes and really it is coming from those multiple branches and those multiple voices of participants practitioners researchers health professions which actually have asked a lot of the same ethical questions as well in developing their disciplines yeah wow Mm, that's the thing about it what are ethics mind-blowing yeah It is, and it is about balancing rights and responsibilities, which applies to everything. It applies to the police, it applies to the health profession, it applies to education. You know, you're always balancing different voices and needs and the boundaries of safety and the flexibility to allow freedom of expression. It's always a delicate dance, I guess, and that's the thing. It's not black and white at all. No. I think that, say, myself, 10 years ago, just working, mainly running community choirs, and lots of different choirs and I think there are lots of people who that's their background it's a it's a musical background 
And then you start to realize that actually this is really transformational for people on many different levels. So you start thinking, well, is what I'm doing okay? And what are my safety criteria? And I want to run an inclusive choir. Oh, well, hang on. Does that mean we allow someone with quite severe learning difficulties into the choir? for example, and what does that mean for the group and establishing for yourself as some kind of facilitator or leader or whatever, what the criteria of the group are is a really important question to answer. And different groups will have different criteria and different boundaries around that. And I guess as well, just the whole landscape everywhere has changed in terms of, say, thinking about disability inclusion and racial inclusion and all the intersecting things with respect to that. Yes. And the interesting about music is that it is about dialogue isn't it it's about exchange and community otherwise we're just talking to ourselves aren't we yeah so within that comes that it all feeds in doesn't it really yeah because i i've only got one lens which is as it was an educator i don't really want to sort of pretend to have some sort of i don't even though you read be... loads of different people's studies and research you you kind of do i do you have an insight into lots of different lenses. I do, yes. But I don't think it's for me to dictate. It's almost not been what the programme's been about, is it? About allowing that openness, allowing that journey. And so mm. I feel it would be a contradiction for me to then say, well, it needs to be this or that. Is that what you were hoping I was going to say? <laughs> Yes, I was hoping you were going to be some kind of ethical guru to go oh, do's really? and don'ts. Oh, yeah, I'd love that. That would be so helpful. <laughs> well, you've refused. You very yeah. clearly explain why. But yeah, it depends on the context, the relationships, who the particular mix of people are. Yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. Thanks, Debbie. Good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I feel really honoured to be here. Ah!